This is Nanya, an interview podcast where we get up close and personal with the local entrepreneurs of Vancouver. These self-starters are changing the game of small business, and we get to hear their stories. I will forever be your host, Skylar Dietz, and the following is Nanya Business. Welcome, everyone, to episode two of Nanya. I am your host, Skylar Dietz, and we have in the studio today a seasoned businessman with his fingers in all sorts of pies filmmaker designer woodworker and seasoned entrepreneur as the founder of demazine technology changing the game of how we deal with wastewater welcome jonathan kitson thank you I, I just wondered what type of seasoning i have as you, a seasoned you know? you salty that's what i know <laughs> that's all i know uh-huh. <laughs> so what, would you, what would you like to know <laughs> well have you been on a podcast before uh, I can tell you all about the fine entrepreneurship things that we're doing over at Demazine. You know, I want I, I want ramble to ramble on for hours. So it's I, like, well, I appreciate you coming on the show because, and this is episode two, and it's very fitting that it's episode number two because you deal a lot with poop. That's it. Am I right? Revenge of the Turds. This <laughs> episode two. In episode this, two. In this, in this right. episode. Yeah. <laughs> tell us about <laughs> Demazine Technology. What does the company do? Um, Demazine is kind of a different way of looking at a 6,000-year-old problem, which is that we're kind of at the crux now of a big changeover, I think, in all of industry from the centralized model where you know, uh, the state was really responsible for giving you clean water. You know, so we had aqueduct systems and septic systems, and then we get into uh, centralized power systems, uh, and now we have kind of you know we had the centralized internet, and now just really in the last you know arguably decade you see this big kind of monumental switch over to where we realize that it's really not that smart uh, to do because there's actually a huge capital expenditure in running these very large projects whether they're uh, construction dams or um, even atomic power now we're starting to realize that if we make these little uh, atomic power plants they're they're more efficient and that has a lot to do with the fact that you have to move the stuff around you know we're in the, in the end a lot of what we do as as humans is transport things whether it's transporting water transporting waste transporting electricity transporting data uh, eliminating the transportation of it is actually uh, certainly big big thing to stop climate change but also just makes a lot more sense because you have a much more resiliency in the system and at least from the septic standpoint the big changeover has been that uh, in the last uh, i don't know 30 or 40 years we've developed a lot of technologies that allow us pretty much to on the water side to drink anything um i know everyone keeps saying hey have you checked out bill's mind uh netflix because he talks about uh, yes. septic yeah i know he I has this well he has a lot of money, first of all. He does. And he, has, he has a lot of money and influence, but he also sucks the air out of the room with what he's doing, and it's not necessarily a good thing. So uh, I appreciate what he's doing. Uh, certainly what he's done in medicine makes a lot of sense. Mm. But what he's done in, you know, this it's actually valid to look at that model because what you have is we have centralized medicine, right? We, we make all this stuff in this massive factory and et cetera, et cetera. And then, and he's, but he's got a target though, right? He's He's trying to go more in like developing countries yeah and his 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 target which is very valid is this lowest common denominator it's like every life is is equally uh valuable and therefore how do we reach the greatest number of people 
which works really well when you're talking about pharma. But when you're talking about septic, I don't think it really works that well because... Too much infrastructure and distribution? Yeah, and if you look at what they've been building, they've been building these like very expensive things and then trying to, to you know, they're basically trying to force a model. It's not really an organic structure, whereas I think what we're doing at Demazine is we, we offer a solution that, that is completely not for that market. We offer a solution which is kind of the high-end difficult part of the market and and from a standpoint of looking at it from like the bill's mind standpoint what we're trying to say is that if you conquer the biggest abusers of the system the biggest users of water the biggest creators of waste the biggest consumers of electricity then that does uh scale better over time and you're able to do it what he's trying to do at gates is hey let's upset it and we'll make it all from the bottom up and you know they, they just don't have enough money and there's it, it's really quite hard to accomplish so you see these projects that gates has done I'm, I'm glad he's doing them but you know there's a huge mega factory on a european scale and the biggest thing with wastewater is um maintenance it's not that we can't solve it we could solve it we could solve it for cheap but somebody's got to literally clean up your shit right and who's that going to be well the, the government has well because that's what you're alluding to right it's like the government controls or is like obligated to control the septic system yeah. in most countries, right? Well, I think going back to kind of the beginning of why decentralized works in the wastewater industry is that, you know, the biggest myth that there is is that we have this figured out. And we actually have not. And that the wastewater systems are almost pretty much on a global sale are, are you know, I don't want to say they're a failure, but if they were run by a private company and if it was a product, we would consider them a complete failure. So, for example, we're here in Vancouver. It's raining today. And I guarantee you the wastewater system in Vancouver, which is, you know, arguably one of the best in the world, is overwhelmed. And that's because the human fecal matter mixes with the sewer water and they can't process it quick enough. So right now, all those lovely turds are floating out in the ocean. So if you went to the beach and you tried to swim around... You're swimming with the fecal matter of the finest people in Vancouver, oh, and wow. yeah, and it's you know it's a multi-billion-dollar plant, and it, it's really state of the art. But that's the same problem that New York City has, and New York City's spending billions of dollars on this, and they still have the same problem. And a lot of it is that we haven't decoupled uh, wastewater streams from sewer streams, you know, which is happening. Certainly in Vancouver, they're in the process of. Uh, Switching it over in, in many cities uh, like Singapore, they do a lot more wastewater processing. Nonetheless, the rest of the world isn't. And, you know, uh, you know, I was uh, originally at one point in time living in uh, Newfoundland. In Newfoundland, for the last hundred and something years, capital of, of Newfoundland and Labrador, St. John's, it just went into the harbor in right. a huge bubble. Just, and that was the entire population of the city. was just, just dumped being, it. Dumped it straight in. Raw sewage right in there. Did they not have any regulations against that? Well, when you're the government. Or you just get away with it. When because... you're the government, there are no regulations. Okay, yeah. And they're similarly. They the own issue. the water. You own the water. You own the septic system. And you can do whatever you want. But if you were a private company, they would think this was was appalling. And I'm not. Right. I, and I'm, uh, they should change it. And they have actually uh, recently in St. John's, I think it lasted like five years ago, they, they finally put in a wastewater treatment plant. But it's like, you know, it's. It's it's kind of late to the game. I think Victoria also, I believe, it's, it took a, a baby step when it needed like a giant leap. Yeah, okay. you know, and it's it's uh, whatever. I mean, in our in our case, I think what we're trying to do is we we offer 
kind of individual waste systems. Now, to be fair, there's a lot of companies that have been doing this and you know, you can dig a pit in your backyard and take a poop into right. it and it works. And we basically have taken that and then we make it into a septic tank and then we're like, oh, well, let's get rid of that um, septic tank and we'll put a leach field onto it. So to be clear, we haven't done anything new in six, 7,000 years. We started to really kind of change that recently. And what we do at, at Demazine is we make them modular, scalable, and you just drop it in. It literally comes on a pallet. You plug it in. You're done in you know a couple hours. Just to and, set up your machine. Yeah, you set up. You, it's exterior. So then we have an exterior septic and we have an interior one. The interior one, you build it into the house. It takes up the space of like a washer dryer unit. And then it, it recycles your water back in. So, uh, so if, instead of just digging a hole in the backyard, it actually – and just like it just stays there. You actually created a system where right. it – recycles it and makes yeah. it useful again. so they're, they're different systems just to okay. be clear so we make yeah. more than one product so the, <clears throat> the interior system the idea is that you know the best way to to get rid of your exterior discharge um is to keep it inside the building so what we do is you know you flush your toilet goes into the tank it settles in the tank we take that water back out we flush the toilet again now Building codes, depending on where you are, haven't really caught up with this reality. They do it on scale, um, and, and you know, there's a couple of there's a good place in San Francisco. There's a couple of buildings in New York that are doing it, but it's still pretty rare, and that's because we have, uh, pretty much globally, um, well, I should say this: the more civilized part of the world, we have the least civilized code, because we when it comes to septic, and... we go well. What it is is actually quite interesting. We we treat all water as if all water is equal, and all water is not equal. We don't have a fresh water problem. We have a water for the way we live problem, and you know uh, we're just consuming too much for for our what we have. We consume we consume we use way too much for we're over budget uh, uh, living really not for mm. not for consuming it. Like we don't drink it. Like we drink very little. We drink uh, a couple liters a day. But the, that's that's like a drop. It's a drop. We're we're drinking we're drinking literally one percent sure of our consumption. So I'm the ninety nine percent is you're flushing a toilet or you're washing your dishes with. And the question is, okay, if you're never going to drink that, you know, why can't you just recycle it? Now everyone think that's great, but like, oh, I don't know. Well, okay. Like the bad news for everybody is everything you've ever consumed in your entire life is recycled water. It is a hundred percent urine. There is nothing on earth. That has not passed through an animal. It has passed through a dinosaur. It's passed through an insect. It's passed through a fish. Everything we consume is urine. So, you know, getting that out of your head. Having said that, we realize from a psychological standpoint of running a real world company, yeah. we can't sell them on the fact that it could be potable water. So we just use it for the other 99% of what they do. You could consume a lot of it. Yeah. But nonetheless. But it doesn't sell. They're not, they're not going to do it. Shit they're water. Not, they're not, shit, 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 water shit water cycling is like, hey. Unless hey, it honey. was. <laughs> unless 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 you're swimming with like really like you said in Vancouver, if you're swimming on the beach, really fancy shit, maybe that's like, it. Maybe. You know, or you know, celebrity. What a urine. privilege! Yes. Celebrity <laughs> urine will probably sell well in in, in Asia. Have but, you made uh, a Have you made a, 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 a celebrity endorsements with this uh, yet? No, no, we haven't. You know, <laughs> Angelina's Angelina. I only you know. I only drink my shitty water. Drink what? So uh, <laughs> might want to cut that part out. But no, yeah. I mean it's it's. It's seriously, it's it's like we don't we don't really drink much. I mean, there's there's because um, I'm sure you've done so much research on water consumption and like water usage and wastage. You know how much water it takes, even just for like a single hamburger or something like that at, at the restaurant, right? You know, like, there's there's a lot of well, 
in the life cycle of a product, especially food, there's a huge amount of water consumption. And those numbers are, get quite complicated. So like, for example, when it came to fish, um, because the same appliance we make for the recycling, you could use an industrial uh, processing. Uh, you could take, it takes um, four kilos of water to process one uh, kilo of, of fish, right? So basically to gut it and everything else, which is why if you look right now online, there's a video of this, uh, you know, pipe here in British Columbia spewing red blood out into the sound because what? that's yeah, going on that's right still now? going on they never clean that up it's because the fish processors basically dump all their bloody products back into the ocean which creates a huge environmental contamination this is issue. happening right now right now right now and and um so the thing with like what we would do is we could we could lower that to about a tenth the amount of volume because we could just basically keep cleaning the water and eventually it just becomes hypersaturated and you play scale stuff but it, you've reduced the volume and then in the case of that rather than uh, discharging it into the ocean which you know, is introducing, because these are farmed fish, uh, viruses, you could basically then put it into landfill, which would be uh, environmentally more sound. Um, but and, they, and with less volume. So it's With like, less volume. I think the, the case of what they were approaching us for on the, the fish processing side was they wanted to make it mobile because, you know, they would they there's a lot of problem uh, problems in the developing world, which is now producing a lot of food for the rest of the world, whether it's South America or, or Africa or Asia where there's small farmers and there's no um, there's, there's not a bottleneck on on supply the bottleneck is on processing because to get it certified to come into Canada and North America it has to be slaughtered in an approved slaughterhouse so the idea was if you could make an approved slaughterhouse that was transportable so it could be moved around and shared among farms it would be very economical but the big issue is water because you have to keep putting a water and septic system in yeah so in this case they would just use one of our units or multiple units I should say inside kind of a glorified containerized slaughterhouse facility and then they would reprocess the water versus that, versus distributing this mobile slaughterhouse well and, so, and just so hooking just, it into somebody's thing and then discharging your blood out there so you know every if they're if they're processing ten thousand kilos of fish they're going to end up with forty thousand kilos of of bloody water whereas right. with our system they would end up with about one tenth that so it, it makes it much more economically feasible and then there's you just own the unit and you hook it up you don't have to distribute your slaughterhouse you don't have to there's no no then you could just, they could just move it around and, and they and yeah and actually from a logistics standpoint it makes a lot of sense right because again kind of this is the decentralized idea it's like we're not transporting the body of the fish in the guts to a, a slaughterhouse by truck and using all the fuel instead we're moving the slaughterhouse to the actual location and therefore it's actually more efficient because the only thing you're shipping out is processed food at that point right. and then locally they either dispose of it or they you know turn it back into feed or something else which is of course this is not my main business so i'm just on this <laughs> septic side but that's yeah. the idea and you know we, again getting back to decentralization it's uh i think the big mistake that we make is that you know we're here we are in this kind of uh, you know booth and there's electricity coming in there's all this stuff is that it we've spent so much time money effort to build this infrastructure you know over hundreds of years in many cases i mean like again going back to the water system in, in new york city something that really t came to pass in the mid-1800s where they bought land and they built these tunnels and you know people are like well why would i want to do that we have all this great infrastructure you actually add up all that money they spent it's crazy money it's not like small amount it's it's you know it's north of twenty thousand us per person to just do the water supply because it's just been amortized over a hundred years. I mean, there's just these, the tunnels are billions of dollars and then they have, you know, the management, the land acquisition, everything else. 
And again, when you have decentralized, and, they, and that's after, that's and that's underground as yeah, well. That's, underground that's very there. very expensive. And, and then and then they, they now they're like having to maintain it. And the thing is, you know, so it's like with when you have again decentralized water and waste, it's like okay, you know, simple ways. It's like you know, you drill a hole in the wall. Or, oh, sorry, the ground. You have a well. Mm-hmm. Pull my water out, put my water in through a septic field. Great. And you could do that. But there's many places where you just can't, whether it's a an urban area or you're just trying to expand rapidly. Certainly here in Vancouver, there's a lot of uh, un- unaffordable housing and there's an affordable housing push. But, you know, a lot of that is also constrained by um, you know municipal realities that we're plumbing, trying- plumbing, plumbing costs and plumbing. But also permits. Permits and time. Are, where so, are you with with permits and rate? Like so, obviously, forget the economics for a second. Like, what what would stop a developer, yeah, or a construction company from like regulation wise from putting in your septic system versus the traditional plumbing system hooked up to the it, to the it, grid? It's really kind of a thing on scale, right? So if you're building a really big building, you're you're certainly better off, you know, with a municipal. Uh, processors if you're there uh, i think that for our us our niche market is really developers who are building in areas where there is no infrastructure um and they Got and it. they want to more just remote edit. areas well yeah i mean if you're opening up a new um costco super center and you're at the edge of town the problem there's probably nothing there and then by the time you add in the cost of property your retention facilities, uh, bringing the water in, which is easier than getting the septic out, um, it's it's really expensive. So it's not it's not a minor part of the building cost, uh, and it is actually quite you know large and increasing. So it can be you know way north of a million dollars for a building, and for us, uh, um, especially because you're losing all this very valuable property now <clears throat> to try to deal with your septic concerns. You know, for us, we 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 put it into uh, an above ground system that resembles a planter. You can actually plant trees on it, and it's uh, it uses one tenth the space. So suddenly, you know, if you're spending a million dollars an acre, uh, you know, and and now all of a sudden you're not using an acre, but you're using just one tenth of it. Well, you just pocketed nine hundred thousand dollars, which is way more money and savings than what we cost and you know where and we can be installed in a couple of days versus a system that you dig up the ground you you have a lot, a lot of site prep work that and take months right yeah and i think you know it's again um, also like you're not constrained by weather or time or yeah yeah well the good thing again is going back to like why our systems don't work again if you look at the uh uh specifically the uh you know, residential system it doesn't work either. You know, it's like if you have a residential system and it's raining all the time, it becomes hypersaturated, and all your human effluent. You know, it's not. It's not magically staying in the ground. It's rising up to the surface, which is why if you have a leach field in your backyard, you go out there, it stinks. That's because all the bacteria are coming up from your poop, and it's like you know they don't work. So the thing is, we have uh-huh. a system that we promote all across North America and the world, which is oftentimes. A complete failure, but we bury it so we don't have to deal with it. Well, if it's underground, we can literally never see it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We never see it. <laughs> well, we then, smell it, and then. And and what the reality is like, in, so in the opposite. But extreme, then when do what what like how do people fix that? Like, they're outlawing them. That's the news fix. That's they're like, it. yeah, like so in California, Nevada, uh, actually many states in the United States. They're now making it so when you you have a, a house and you want to sell it, they're going to make you comply with the current code. So a lot of these 
places had much smaller leach fields and septic fields that they haven't been maintained for the last 50 or 80 or you know who knows how many years and now all of a sudden they have to go when they're in the process of selling their house so their house has already yeah, been sold they have to go now rip all their landscaping out dig a big pit and update it and it can cost tens and tens of thousands of dollars so that's one of us for us like one of our big niche markets and then because you're an alternative so we're instead, an alternative. Of, instead of like digging this up why don't you just plug in our no just call us order it online yeah show up yeah and then your guy with no previous experience it comes with an engineering stamp can install it and you can sell your house in a couple days versus months wow and that's like a big difference so it's not it's it's cheaper depending on the location you and know? you're and you're like that would be up to code, be considered up to code. Yeah, that's up to code. That's actually yeah. pretty easy because that's that's more compliant. What becomes more complicated for us as a company is the issue with uh, our appliance inside because when we recycle water inside the building, we're regulated by the Food and Drug Administration in the in the United States and the FDA, uh, for whatever reason, has decided not to regulate. Uh, filtration products like your Brita water filter because it would practically probably be overwhelming for them to do so. Oh, so as a result, it's too much. It's too much it's to just, regulate. There's not enough people. There's the, the FDA. So to, you don't have to worry about that. There's no, you know, there's no EPA regs. Because you're a giant Brita filter. Yep. Or just a filter. We're just a filter as far as they're concerned. And then, and then we recycle it back into it. Now, you know, that is a pro and con in, in our business because on one hand, we're completely unregulated. On the other hand, the people who are used to coming in are a bit freaked out by that because it's like you know they're used to wagging a finger at something and then and then the the, the flip side of that is you get some municipalities who are very much hell bent on trying to make you regulated but that's like saying uh you know bob your building inspector can, can now uh, determine what type of washer dryer you use it's like, well, Bob, you actually don't have the authority to do that because that's right. not uh, that's out of your regulatory purvey. But it's like, they but they hold all the power. They do, and they don't know. I mean, they don't have the they don't have the ability. So they, they, they they'll try to. They, they, try they to. might. They okay. might. Some of them are actually, to be honest, the building people I think are very much more progressive because in the building codes and in most places allow for uh, innovation. Where they except for Canada. <laughs> Canada. Is it slower here? No, you know. Are we a little Is that a Canadian thing? Is that a Vancouver thing? No, you I don't know, want... Canada is a very strange place when it comes to regulatory framework. So like United States Obviously, has... like we have some of the highest standards especially when it comes to health and safety. We do have very high standards in Canada, but the issue in Canada is that which the most of the world doesn't know is that you know every province is its own independent nation, and then we have a very weak federal system. So as a result, the codes are, you know, there might be a national code of Canada, but there's a lot of of huge variation on the provincial province level. To province. And then what happens is here, or like anywhere in Canada, if like if there's there's a, a specific code for septic for for residents, there's a code for business, there's a code for different type of businesses. So if you run a mining camp, you have a certain type of specification. And if you're running, you know, another type of like a hotel or something, it's going to have a difference. So there's like these really weird specifications with no goal. So the good thing about the US, it's kind of like, hey, here's a standard, how you get there, I don't care. And the Canadian system has no goal. It doesn't say our goal is that you hit the following characteristics of your water. Some of them do, most of them do not. And the big thing that Canada does, which is very odd, is that they dictate it to the point of minutia. It's like, you're going to have an 8-inch pipe. You're going to have 400 liters of water per person per day. 
Oh, you're wow. going to have that pipe. It's going to go 110 meters away. So a guy who has no education, who has a clipboard and a checklist and a tape measure is all he needs to know if you comply. He doesn't know how the system works. He doesn't know anything. But your pipe's not eight inches, so... Your pipe is seven inches, you failed. Wow. And, 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 and is that... And so this, when it goes to the minutia of that, is that BC? No, no, no. It's, 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 a just... whole, it's, a whole, it's a whole nation. So it's like, okay. you know, as a company, we're not really focused on Canada because Canada is like going to, into... You know, well, it'd be like the equivalent of entering twenty countries because you're you're doing every province, and then you've got these little minutia of city laws. Thirteen, Jonathan. I understand yeah. that. But then we got federal, <laughs> we got federal, Correct. and then don't forget, no, 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 that we have First Nations. Ah, uh, different, te- different can, story. They can technically kind of do their own thing. So you've okay. got it's 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 even more complicated than just all that. Then okay, and then I, it's, I, it's you actually more than, the bigger be, picture. It's than more I. than twenty. To be honest, it's probably hundreds because okay. you have all these regulations and sub-regulations inside of Vancouver. Oh, okay, I understand. Which Whereas in the United States, there's kind of a national building code with slight variation, and then you per go state. through per state, and then it's mostly on a county level after that. But it's not as strict, um, or not as detailed. It's more goal oriented. It's not that it's it's less strict. It's more goal oriented, so it's more targeting. Like, here's the goal. Like solving the problem, or like getting. There's no, there's no way. It doesn't tell you what type of system you can use. Now they do approve okay. systems in the United States. Like, oh, this is the best case, or this is you know the best for this industry. So and the, and they and that's mo- mainly kind of one they don't want to test every single thing that comes in, and then two, the big concern in, in wastewater is that the companies survive because you know if you build something that's kind of really cool, like Bill Gates's company, and it's really great. And you got a Netflix some, special, and you got a Netflix yeah. special. But what if the company fails? Right. And then who's going to supply that really weird filter? They haven't done a follow-up episode that I'm so aware the, of. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to break the bad news to everyone right here. On your I don't know. I, I'm. It's a failure. Oh, because. His, what? You know, his thing that he but did. But it's Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yeah, it they... doesn't mean they succeed all the time. You know, it's just that they, they if you look at what they did, they hired a lot of academics uh, to build these systems, and they and they also hired big engineers. And none of those guys understand the market. And I think that's another well, that's thing. The thing. They, they tried to create a system, like, like a fit in a closet that cost $5,000, right? That was the premise of his project. And I don't think, or is it five thousand or fifteen thousand? I can't remember. I don't know. Ours is ours fits in your closet and is is within those parameters, but right. it's not gonna. You know, we're systems engineers, so it's like it's like it's not. I think his thing was much lower target. In fact, I didn't watch the special. I I confess okay. that the hundreds of people have told me to watch it. I've I've read the, and the work, like, yeah, and I've seen what he's been doing. I've been reading uh, on on the actual results, but which you know, is probably a better source, anyways, versus well, like a. Production, thing, you know, in the end, going back to like the the Bill and Melinda Gates problem, which is not a problem that we're trying to solve uh, directly. Is yeah, you're that, not solving malaria. I'm not solving you're malaria. Not cure, curing no, disease. No, but but the the whole thing that we do in wastewater or water treatment, it's all the same thing. Is that when we have kind of, uh, you know, there's kind of the electronic systems. Like we're gonna we're gonna zap it with you know UV. We're gonna put electricity through it. We're gonna do all this stuff, which works. Which okay. works. Okay. But it takes power. Somebody's got to maintain it. The other one is we're going to put a filter. We've got this really high tech, 
half billion dollar plant that creates out these great filters and and they do work so these are the engineers and scientists that you're talking about yeah, that yeah this is this is where great ideas like technical or like theoretically no not three they, they do like, work technically work great but on a market but level but what happens is that the electrical one requires an electrical system and requires power the filtration one requires a filters the filters don't always last forever they have pretty long lifespans but then they have to chlorinate them because you got to kill the bacteria that grows on the filter media so you so have introducing a lot more steps and, and a, lot more, a lot more maintenance a lot more training right and then really when and it comes probably more to regulation is, and code uh right? maybe because well some of these obviously come countries in africa aren't really having the same degree of code because it doesn't exist at all right but which is maybe in some ways helping innovation but the funny thing is after all this you, you know you you uh you really start to realize that the the best system the systems that are like the the most stable and dynamic are really kind of you know systems that are mimic biology so it's like you know whether it's uh-huh. trying to get to mars and have it build a system that will survive for the next couple decade you know what is that system really going to look like and from the nasa standpoint that's kind of forward osmosis it's more like what your bowels are doing and then from us as a company we're kind of like a biodynamic water processor and that's like not necessarily all that new it's just that we're shrinking it even more right and then uh we're facilitating that because in the end you either work with biology or you fight like hell to control it and biology will in usually fact, wins. wins. Yeah. It wins. So it's like you, you can, you can, you can. Mother Nature has been around a lot longer yeah, than we know, have. It's like you can put whatever toxic compound in there. Eventually, it seems that you know some bug will eventually figure out how to grow on It'll it. It'll mutate. And yeah. So it's like you know. It, until it, actually, you know, I have this. Uh, my girlfriend has this theory about it. We're we're not really gonna evolve and beat biology until we become one with the robot. That's that's the theory. Well, you know, and like that's the next step in evolution. That's that's when we take over. We are biological robots. So that's another way of looking at it. I suppose. That's it. We and that's what they're trying to do. Less you know? metal in us. Though. We have less metal than, well, than Terminator. The metal rusts. You know, the thing is, if you want something, <laughs> that's true. That, Mother Nature takes over again. It's ah, like, you know, theory, theory disproven. If you want something that really works, you know, build something that repairs itself. Stainless steel. Just remember stainless steel when you're being becoming a cyborg. No, that's it. I'll, I'll work on that. <laughs> Well, right now, I'll, right now, I'll take my my soft tissue gut, you know, over the stainless steel version. Okay. And by <laughs> the way, that's probably... what, that's what Bill Gates. You know, one of the things that he did built was they built this like really super complicated toilet, which works. Yeah. It's like I, so that was that was in the Netflix special, um, and then it was great because he had just one little crank that was just a spout, and then it was clear, clean water. He took a sip and it was iconic, and he was like, "Yeah, it's no big deal, right?" But the the thing was. Gigantic. Yeah, like, no. it was a very big toilet filter. The Hans and I have made this filter, <laughs> the biggest, best filter in the world. And look what it can do. Look it can how... pour water. Like I, so, it was underwhelming. So it's like yeah. good that it filters, but like that's not new. And this is what you're trying to. I mean, you're not trying to battle it because you're not. In, he's not your competition. Like no, he's, yeah. and that's not like you're trying to disprove. It's the same. But I, I'm what I'm saying is, it's a filter. Like he's, very, it's very under underwhelming. Well, I, I know in a case if I was doing the the Bill and Melinda Gates uh, system again, which we're not doing, is like what I would probably have done is just, um, especially in the tropical countries, they could have done a system where it basically dumps in and it's in a confined environment, like a uh, like a what I'd call like a very short greenhouse that's 
you know, like a half meter tall and, and it covers like an acre and the, the effluent flows in and then you capture the evaporated water off of that, which would be pure drinking water. Right. And then, you and then just, it'll, it'll help perpetuate the greenhouse and then, as and well. Then, and, then, and then basically it will bake in the sun, so it'll kill all the bacteria inside of it. And then you basically scrape it off. So you have a sanitized and water product. Very simple, very low-tech. No chlorine. No chlorine. Nothing to patent there, by the way. <laughs> you, could, you could do it. <laughs> that's science. And that's that's just it. It's science. just like, well, that's it. It's like just easy. It's like the sun did it all. Okay. And that's it. But, and can but, you, and could you simulate that? Say if it was in, in like an actual greenhouse and climate controlled and all that, could you simulate that well, you could do it very easily. I mean, it's just—it's really like kind of like a, you know, a survival. When you ever see the thing where, like, if you want to, you know, desalinate water, you can just pour salt water into a bucket. You put a piece of clear plastic over it, and the water evaporates off of it, and you capture it in the cup in the center, right? You put a little divot in the middle That's of the right. plastic. Yep. It condenses rolls up. Same thing, right? So you could do that on scale. The point is, the reason Bill Gates isn't seeing that is Bill Gates is still paying people to do it. And nobody wants to say, hey, Bill, I got this idea. I wrote it on the back of a napkin. It's going to work better than the guy who spent a half billion dollars building this big-ass useless plant. Toilet. And, <laughs> and, you know, and somebody who knows how to push a shovel once a month and shovel the manure out, which is now sanitized, it work. You know, but they don't do that. So, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of different ways it can be accomplished. So I want to ask you about desalination because I, I studied a little bit of water about water in school because it I was, don't know was anything a, about desalination but okay. I'll pretend for the next five well minutes. maybe you know a thing or two because my big question is like well yeah the fresh water running out right that's that's been statistically proven we're just running out of fresh water right yeah no you know I don't I don't necessarily buy that argument I know that they make it and there's plenty of plenty of people it's the same argument like we're running out of oil we don't seem to be running out of oil we have plenty of right fresh, they've been saying it for a while we have plenty of fresh water we use it very inefficiently that's the thing so it's like the, it's not that we are running out of that's what uh, they're saying we're water we're just running out of easy lazy ass water that we had to do nothing for okay and it was there in quantity and we use it to wash our car or our laundry and all the rest of the stuff. The actual amount of people in the world who have no drinking water whatsoever, which does occur and, and will occur in greater numbers with climate change, mm -hmm. is not the majority of the problem. The majority of the problem is, you know, we just are extremely inefficient at utilizing the water resources that we have. We'd be fine if we were just smarter about our consumption, more efficient about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if we allowed, I mean, think about it. If I mean, if you... You know, this is our contention: is that is that if you want to recycle it, how much water do you really need? You know, how much water do you need? If we so we're in a little sound booth here, if this sound booth was filled with drinking water, this is enough drinking water for a family of five for like four years. Four years. Right. This okay. is it. This is this is. I think this is five by nine by you know, eight in the metric system. This is like one meter by yeah. two and a half by not even two like two meters tall so it's 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 not a big space it's a hot tub we, we yeah hot tub you you yeah. use you consume ex very very little drinking water you consume so what was that family of five for it's it's very little for years your years 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 multiple year supply in here and the thing is you know but we obviously consume more of that i mean the north americans are extremely wasteful but again if you never if you just took all your flush water and just kept flushing your toilet, but which, by the way, you add water to it all the time because you keep urinating in it. So mm -hmm. it actually has got more water than it knows what to do with. You've now knocked out a huge percentage of your water consumption. If you didn't take your shower water and then you recycle your shower water, you've then cut your consumption down. You can cut your consumption 
very easily to to 10% of what it was, which means you're using 10% of the amount of water from a consumption. And that also means you don't have to dispose of the other 90%. And that really changes the whole dynamic. And is that on a personal level? Or are you saying like, just install a different system, something like yours, and then that will yeah. help? Yeah. Or, is, or is there something that we can do personally in our day-to-day lives that will... Probably not. <laughs> just because we're, we're part of the system that's well, you know, already in place? I think that it's very hard to get people to change their habits, you know, and, and that is, uh, people are very habitual creatures. So the question is rather than saying, Hey, rather than having, you know, we used to have a four uh, gallon per second shower head. Now there's a one and a half gallon per minute. Okay. So buy a low flow toilet Buy Yeah. uh, Yeah. We we can only push that so far before they're like, well, there's no water coming out of my shower and I still want to have my shower. Actually don't work very well. It doesn't work very well. So now the thing is like, how do you just allow people to have the habits they have, but do it in a more efficient manner? And you know, one of those is that we, we recycle it back In, in the case of shower water and gray water, which is everything other than what you poop in. Um, there's a lot of embedded energy in that. There's a lot of energy inside your your human fecal matter and you know food scrap, et cetera, which can be converted back into methane or energy. Um, there is uh, a huge amount of heat in the gray water, which you know one of the biggest uh, 25% of your a lot of people's electric bill is is in uh, heating the water. And if you can recapture that water and keep it inside the house, you're not heating it as much. You actually have a huge energy saving. So you may be using energy to recycle it, but you're recapturing a lot of that energy that you would have just literally flushed down the, the drain. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's you know, by making a closed, tighter system, you can have the efficiencies of these kind of um, micro scale. So you're less concerned about increasing supply and desalination, not no. interested in that. And, and, and most of the most of the world has been looking at that. Like, how do we increase supply? And I don't. You think, think that's we, the wrong way to look. I at it. I think it's a complete waste of time. Right. Let's think about how we're actually using what we have. Well, okay. Just from a desalination standpoint, I mean, we're going to have a huge issue with uh, with sea rise, where these billion dollar right. plants, a lot of them are going to be underwater. Uh, so you know, we we have. Uh, I mean, this is Venice. Like, Venice. <laughs> Hello. We have Venice. We have. You, you well, know, that's not. That's just the most recent. There's well, been. There's been. Look at Florida. The entire state of Florida has a huge water problem. I mean, it rains often in in Florida, but the amount of water they're pulling out of the aquifer um, has screwed up their entire aquifer. So you have basically saltwater intrusion. So you suck so much fresh water out that saltwater is coming in. Um, And then you can't, uh, again, when you have hypersaturated soils, as we discussed earlier, you can't run an efficient septic system. So in the case of, of all places, Orlando, Florida, has always had a real problem with water. So they have a, a very active recycling program. Um, I think one of the oldest in the United States where they recycle, I believe it was 40%, but they're, they're raising it. I know San, San Diego has a very aggressive uh, recycling of water uh, system. I was just talking recently with um, the state of Nevada Southern Water District, which is uh, basically Las Vegas. And there they recycle. They try to recycle 100% of it. They basically try to sell it to you and then pull it back in, treat it to the point where you could drink it, and then they dispose of it back in the river, which makes no sense. <laughs> I know. This is the point. I've, I've heard about Las Vegas, though. I have a friend of a friend lives there. They they had a small water shortage, whatever you want to call it, drought. They Their big solution was, oh, don't take baths. 
<laughs> which is again and then they reverse which, no, the problem or is that it's like nobody wants to do that right because it's like you know that's a, ha- a habit change or they water their their flowers with the their pasta boiled water which okay and, and um, so it's smart but like no well okay that... they wouldn't let that happen actually so so now the the use of gray water for exterior uh landscaping and irrigation they may have changed that rule in the last couple oh, is of that years. a bad thing they, they wouldn't they wouldn't let you do that it's also in california because wouldn't they wouldn't let you nope they wouldn't let you do it. They wouldn't let you do it, which is completely inefficient. So you had to flush yep. it back into the ocean. And then they – so, yeah, yeah. I know you're giving me that look, yeah, but, but that's that's what's wrong with the entire system. I'm intrigued and confused. of Like, why can't you use your your past, your your hot dog water, <laughs> your wiener water, <laughs> your, to water your begonias out front? Well, you couldn't even use rainwater. You weren't allowed to capture in the state of California any type of runoff, including off of your own roof, was illegal. You could, yeah, you couldn't do it. Why? And they've why? just been changing it recently. Um, because there have been these water wars and they want to save it for agriculture and they're worried that if they allow people to capture rainwater that falls on their property, then that will allow them to hoard it and it won't go into the aquifer. They'll monopolize They'll monopolize water. it rather than buying wow. it. It's, it's like it is this really screwed up system. So okay. at a fundamental level, the entire way we look at it is so wrong. I, so if I put a cup of water, so maybe uh, this isn't in BC, this is, this is a state's thing? Um, I don't know or what is it, it is. And they probably can't. North you probably America? can't. You probably can't recycle. You probably can't put your collect rainwater. Uh, in 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 Canada, I am pretty sure you cannot. You need a like a permit, and it's got to be for no, no. Because remember, in in water, water in Canada is extra screwy because the government runs the water, mm-hmm. and the government will not allow private industry to own water. And as a result, we don't have bottled water plants in Canada except on the don't First we? Nations reserves. No. Oh, in Mississauga. That's it. There's only the only ones, and oh. uh, so there's. That's why every single bottled water in Canada goes through Mississauga. Yeah. Like I, you you. I mean, I don't really buy single-use plastics very often, but I try not to. But every single one says Mississauga, Ontario. That's why. Because yeah. they're on unregulated land. Yeah. In that bottling plant. Yep. And Whoa. the First Nations could do it. Yeah, you didn't know that? Well, no. Now you learn something new every day. Oh, I'm intrigued. This is it's, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's And, and uh, you know, so in Canada, we just let it, you know, there were many people like in Newfoundland and Labrador, which has a huge amount of rain, that wanted to just take, you know, water that was pouring into the ocean. You're like, no, you can't do that. We're not going to let you do that. I can't put, I'm legally not allowed to put on my property, even if I owned my house, I can't put a cup of water outside while it's raining and keep it i can't you better you better ask i don't know probably not i mean you could probably do rainwater capture i mean the thing is you it, it's it's so strange it's it's like the the regulations if they again, catch if they catch it if, you, well, if you're doing something you with it, if you're bottling it, it you might be able to capture it off the roof but you know again it's like all there's all these bylaws that vary from province to province and city to city so it's like who knows so you know in in many places certainly in the united states and in canada it's like you can't you can't capture the water on your property, or you certainly can't wow. take your wastewater and redo it on your lawn. Now, but 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 think how screwed up this is because I'm, the I, water I the do. water is going under your lawn anyway, right? It's yeah, like goes into a tank, yeah. goes into a septic field. It's kind of watering on, but now it's like no, we're not going to do it because you know there could be biological pathogens. They have a lot of reasons why they don't want you to do it, and you know they, for example, you can't use human manure to fertilize crops and that mostly has to do with you know on one hand they don't want you to have it uh the bacteriological stuff but but they also don't want you to have human parasites uh now you can heat treat it and you can make it completely inert Mm -hmm. 
but they won't let you do that. Oh. So. Because of something ridiculous, I'm guessing. Because we are in the business of keeping business the way it is. Right. We're not actually interested in solving problems. We're interested in we create a lot of regulations and then we keep the regulations in there. So it's like, you know, people don't. It is. It is all comes back to. Uh, of course, because you change the game, then you threaten. I don't know if it's even the system. It's, it's, the system is, you know, Gary's been used to it for twenty five years. Okay. I work so in the, this is habitual. Thing. I just, I'm going to get retirement. I don't care what you're coming up with. I'd have right. to learn something new. I'm not going to do that because they're, you know, I not to knock the uh, good government officials who want to change things, and a lot of them do. Yeah. But there's just so much inertia in the system and so much pushback from people who are like, I just don't care. I want to do it and let the next guy do it. Do you see it changing? That I think there's changing because they're desperate. They have to kind of change. Because everyone's screaming climate change. Everyone's screaming yeah, water but, waste. But but at the same time, it's like they're they're delusional because that's really funny because it's like, you know, uh, Orlando recycles their water, but they will never admit that you're drinking that water again. So they'll- Because people dis- don't like to think- Oh, no, no. It's We're not be- drinking pee. This it's all fresh. The, the yeah, that's right. The water that comes out of the ass crack of the earth, you know, the spring water, that's the best water. By the way, if you ever buy spring water, because I know a lot of people buy spring water, um, there's no regulations on that. So that water is shit. It is the worst fucking water you can buy. What? Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, what happens is, and the way the U.S. works, this is great because this is Canada yeah. kind of too, is that the regulation is you have to test the water, but the test results. There's no regulation that forces them to be shared with the government. So the government actually doesn't know what's in the water. And if you sample the water you just have independently. You say that it's tested. That's yeah, it. If you sample it independently, it fails quite often. And the difference between public water and private water is the private water is tested and you never know what's in it. The public water is tested and you can at least get the results. You know, I'm not saying that public water is all good. Certainly south of where we are in Seattle has some of the worst water in the United States due to groundwater contamination from the uh, aerospace industry. Um, And, you know, Florida has very poor water. There were 99,000 EPA violations uh, in the United States, usually year on year. Uh, They're just, it's a huge amount of, of, of violations that happen for water quality. You know, the ones in New Jersey suddenly, which have been there for decades, are like in first and foremost, oh, we have lead in our water. Lead's not it. We have... You know, I wouldn't be worried about lead in your water. I know that sounds terrible for, for everyone who's worried about becoming uh, losing some brain cells. To where it's like you should be worried about uh, the stuff that you just can't get rid of, which is um, really the flame retardants. Oh, and those that are in the water oh, system. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the stuff that's going to full on give you cancer and you can't get out of your body so and you, accumulates over over decades. I mean, so those is, that, are is that a lot of? So you said there's a lot of waste from the aerospace industry, and then you think a lot of those. Flame retardants are from well, those and in companies. particular cases, they're 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 different contaminants depending on the area. Of I mean, I was, I was just listening uh, this morning. The news, the news of today, was that in uh, Nova Scotia, the um, pulp processor, which pulp industry is is a huge water polluter, and in most locations around the world, are required to recycle their water. They have a huge amount of water used for the pulp and paper industry, but not in Canada. So there, they're dumping their raw sewage into a lagoon, which was uh, right next to uh, First Nations band. And, and oh. frankly, this has been going on for decades. And now the plant is complaining they're going to close down because their big solution was, you know what we're going to do with it? 
we're going to pipe it out to the ocean and dump all their toxic waste there. Uh-huh. They're not going to – that's their treatment option was – Just, just move, just move it, it somewhere else. Move it somewhere else no one will see it. Because yeah. the like, ocean well, – yeah, no one cares about the ocean yeah, these days. Yeah, and, and then they said, well, we have our fish or we catch our fish out there. So, like, this is what's going on now. And it's it's like people are lazy. They want to – you know. And, and, that's the cheap solution. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it, a solution. It's a it's cheap not, well, maneuver. I mean, in the in the water world is a lot about you know life cycle again, kind of this this decentralization idea. I mean, certainly the mineral and mining industry of all people are very cognizant and aware of the value of recycling water. They use a huge amount of water. They do create water contamination, but they're very on top of it. You know, what and industry? The mining industry. Mining. Okay. Now. In Canada, I don't really want to knock Canada, but the thing is, you know, Canada is a huge country which has it's just a uh, you know full of natural resources, and they uh, have done just terrible things here over the last hundred years. Of you know the the the, the standard Canadian practice is to run a mine. This is I'm talking about Canadian companies, uh, and then basically bankrupt the company and then leaving somebody else to deal with the environmental impact. Now they've recently that's the real tra- recently that's the tradition yeah and they've done it they, they try to do this now in the rest of the world the big um corporations like uh, barrick and uh anglo-american who have you know fairly terrible reputations uh you know from name recognition as being you know polluters are actually very well aware that and on the game of be, doing the right thing and, and trying to do that and that's because they realize that an environmental spill or something has a reputational effect on them and their ability to open up minds around the world so they're actually you know to their credit very much aware and cognizant and trying to do the best practices it is actually the local smaller companies who are terrible at it who just want to basically make as much money they want and then go bankrupt or, or sell out you know i mean it's a it's a basic most of the mining industry is a ba- is a, it's is a, a gold it, rush it's a gold rush to be <laughs> acquired by somebody else okay yeah and, and and leave them with these where, life cycles where do you find that the worst i know there's a ton of mining up north um if you're talking about diamonds and and more rare uh, if you're talking about gems there or saskatchewan yeah Potash. I know that the I think the Americans were going to sue the sue the Canadians for having their contaminated rivers run into Alaska because they were not uh, meeting the American codes because the Canadians uh, wow. had never cleaned them up. You know, and, and remediation of mining industry is really really hard and expensive. So you know, life cycle of mines has become a huge um, uh, area for for people to really look at. I mean, one of the things that I thought was amazing was I think it was Anglo was saying that they did a study of, from uh, you know it's a huge multi billion dollar company as to what they spent money on, and they found that twelve percent of their entire global spend was water, and they Whoa. realized at that moment that saving water would improve their bottom line by potentially as much as 12%. So it became a whole new focus. And one of the examples they gave, which I believe was in Canada, was that they had a mine and they were able to recycle the water from the tailings so that the tailings would not be hypersaturated and it allowed them to increase the uh, the stacking from whatever it was, like 38% to 45% pitch, which sounds very minor, but it saved them $500 million. Yeah, when you're talking billion dollar, yeah. several billion dollar industry. Yeah, it's like $500 million, just that one mine over the lifetime, which is crazy numbers, but it's yeah. like, you know, that was local, you know, and, 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 and so in some ways, I think what we need to do, what we try to do with our company is like, how do we look at what is, what's like the real, if you take out everything else out of the picture, you know, really what's the life cycle of the products? So like our products, we try to make them last longer and just have, um, you know, we do a lot of stuff that a normal company w- doesn't do. Like we pump effluent around. 
and they're like, oh, we don't want to do it. There's energy in that. It's like, yeah, but you're using now one-tenth the amount of space. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and how much energy you're really using? And it's really nothing. You're really using very little. It's like very low-duty cycle. And like the, the pumps last a decade, you know, and almost everything has to be serviced after a decade anyway. And it's like not an expensive pump. You can recycle it. So it's like in some ways, uh, you know, and then and then people are like, well, but if you know, but still you're using electricity now. You've you've taken this. What's why would you want to use a gravity field? It's like okay, well, you could put in a gravity septic field, but now you're gonna use ten times the space. You're gonna rip out all those plants. You're going to destroy that entire ecosystem. You're gonna put something that actually doesn't work fundamentally all the time, and then it still needs to be maintained. But the thing that people don't figure in all this is like, okay, well, I had to dig up an acre of land. I had to put in all these things. What's the plastic? How about all the guys who worked on it? What's all the diesel cost? And if you start to add up all these things over the life cycle, just like doing the New York City model of you know hundreds of miles of big tunnels that cost a billion dollars, it's actually really expensive. And pe- most people never think of that. They just look at the one-time price tag. It's like, hey, I'm putting a couple plastic filters. The plastic filters are you know, $50 a section and I need this number of them, it's 50 bucks a section versus, you know, we're selling an appliance, which is coming in at like about four to $5,000 a section, but it's complete and yeah. there's no labor. Yeah. It comes off a truck and you're done. <laughs> and a, that's and it. On a pallet. And a pallet. It's a built-in pallet. So yeah. it's like basically it's designed, you just take it off the truck and literally hook it in and you're done. And, and it's like, and it's kind of a hard thing for people to get their head around. I mean, we do a, we do another appliance, which is a sink that's a, a recycling sink, and it's like you just plug it into a wall, and it's really weird because people are like, well, it's kind of expensive. It's like, yeah, but the plumber didn't have to be called to put it in. Right. And you You're didn't have to have a – Labor costs labor, Labor and the design. Right. And, you know, all the stuff that goes with it. And it's like, you know, it life, life cycle of appliances and how we live our lives and what we really spend time, money, and energy and create pollution on is quite complex. And you've obviously this is like groundbreaking stuff. Like, there's not a whole lot of people that are doing this. Well, there's a lot of people doing it. We're just in a weird area. I mean, most people are doing it on the Brita water filter side, and they're doing it on the um, large industrial side. I mean, uh, certainly here in Vancouver has a very uh, robust community of wastewater engineering for again pulp and paper which I know we, we use that, but that was on the other side of the country, yeah. a different mm-hmm. province. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they do recycle the water for pulp and paper. Uh, we recycle a lot of water for many industries, certainly uh, pharma and um, like L'Oreal has a really aggressive uh, program where they recycle a huge amount of water at their facilities. Um, and they're obviously, they're not in Canada, but, but it's like, it is a big thing. And I think um, most of it, though, is at a big, large scale because the players who are most interested in trying to understand the question right now are large mega companies with reputations at stake. And, you know, you know, Bob, who lives down the road, he doesn't care. You know, right. he, he doesn't have a good reputation anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, and nobody wants to know about his, you know, his, his, what he does his, with his water, with his water, and, and, you know, and it's that's it. But you've had a lot of interest from these big corporations too, haven't you? We have, which we can't name, because okay. <laughs> we have NDAs. But yes, we've had we've had interest. But you've been really, ta- in talks with, with they're very large corporations, yes. uh, who about their wastewater, uh, and because they are concerned and they do, you know, are interested in it. It is funny that some of them have passed internal guidelines, which are almost impossible to meet, because again, like they don't really think they're like, yeah, it's like, hey, Skyler. 
I think we need to get on that green bandwagon. Let's uh, right. Let's put in more LED bulbs and uh, yeah, water's on that list. Retroactive. Let's let's let's, let's go and, and reduce our water by fifty percent, and then somebody has to execute that. We're gonna do it all in two years. Okay. <laughs> we have we have twelve thousand branches, you know, okay. or something like that. It's like insane. So there's a lot of that going on, greenwashing, and and they right. I'm trying to check. Well, that's if you're if you're not green, you'll probably die off. Right. As a giant brand. Well, there's a really interesting article that just came out this week about um, short selling and that the what do you uh, mean by that? That the funds, hedge funds have decided to sell shares and short shares, meaning that they're borrowing shares to sell them in order to drive the stock prices down of uh, or 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 anticipating that the, the stock price will drop and therefore they will make money because of sold it at a high price and then they'll mm -hmm. buy it back the real shares at a lower price and they're doing it specifically on corporations which are greenwashing saying that they went as it emerges that they're not doing anything that they said they're going to do that there's going to be such a divestment of their shares from all these institutional players that the stock the share price is going to collapse and therefore there's money to be made by shorting them which is fascinating. And right. this is recent. This is only in the last year. And now it's become a multi-billion dollar industry of basically, you say you're doing climate change. What are you doing? Oh, that's all bullshit. So it's 2008 all over again. You know, I don't know if it's 2008, but it's it's <laughs> well, certainly, you know, from a climate perspective, uh, people are really starting to make more monetary choices as to, you know, how they spend their money and where they invest it. Mm -hmm. um, we get, you know, we get some solicitations from uh, fund managers, and I will hereby tell you in advance, which, you know, who knows who's going to watch this thing, but the fund managers <laughs> have no fucking clue what's going on. If you want to talk about the most ignorant group of people, really? you know, who control millions or hundreds or millions or billions of dollars, they have no idea what's going on. None. None. Zero. So it's like, you know, and I um, maybe, maybe. Unless they're manipulating the system, then. Well, then they would be really bright if they were, but, you know, they're not. It's like, you know, okay. we have these guys, we give them $100 million, and they're like, we're asking them to understand basic science and these other things, and they have no idea. You know, it's like saying, it's like saying, hey, Skylar, hey, you want to run a business? Why don't you go ask your banker for advice on how to run your business? Because they know everything about your business, right. don't they? And, right, and nobody right, right. does that. But at the same time, when you go to the VC market, you know the the venture capitalists and you know smaller funds who are venturing in you know seed rounds or you know early startup stuff they have actually no idea at all of how any of these businesses work and by this i really truly mean 99% of them have nobody on staff who really understands what they're doing mm -hmm. then when they get into series a where they're making money and they're doing these big things then it's just all the risk is taken out of it. Then it's just a full financial play. Then they just want to put money. They're just like they hear a nice idea. They put money in it because they, it's passive at that point. No, right? well, what it is is the, the the problem with the the market right now. It's like you know, it's great that that Bill and Melinda Gates are putting money into the markets in order to um, you know take on these projects that other people don't want to do that have a lot of uh, potential risk and failures. But when it comes to uh, you know, the venture capitalists, they're a failure. They're full-on flat failure. And that right. and it and that's because there's a mythos that's been perpetuated that, you know, and which which is affecting all of our lives that, you know, that that the private sector is going to be able to innovate around this. It's not gonna happen. Because the uh only innovation is really sparked at a, a level from governments 
and from large scale spend and plan and you know maybe in this case the philanthropic efforts of of uh, Bill and Melinda Gates but it isn't happening at the VC level because they're idiots they actually have no idea what they're investing in they're they, just holding cash that's it they have a lot of cash they have they have these they have these ideas but they're actually not able to assess the outcomes because they themselves could never start a business if their money their life depended on the right. people who run these businesses they themselves are cogs in the machine who have no idea how to start a business from scratch with an idea and run it. They know financial service is great, but that's not the same thing. Right. Yeah, like understanding a spreadsheet is not the same thing as understanding how to build a product people. that never existed or people. Right. And, and, and so at a very fundamental level, the people who we think are going to help everyone else out of it are definitely not going to do it. I mean, I have a, um, uh, a woman I know who has a company in, uh, in New York which I think is is genius, which does a, uh, they do a motor and uh, they have not raised any money on their motor. But the motor, the promise of the motor is the first motor patent, new motor, electric motor patent in, in 100 plus years. Mm -hmm. And uh, on top of that, the prospect is that let's say the motor is, let's say it's 20% more efficient. Well, if it's 20% more efficient, that means you can suddenly now produce 20% more power because everything we create power for is running on a motor, running in reverse, right? It's the same kind of principle. Right. And now we can be 24% efficient on the usage. So it's like now it's 20% and you're multiplying it again. So it's like a huge, you know, half of your power in the world can suddenly drop. You know, what's that really worth? A trillion dollars? They can't raise a fucking penny on that. And that's because the people who see what a big gamble that is, which we've create this myth that there's these guys out there who understand the risks and that stuff. Crap. They don't understand it all. Gotcha. You know, and, and this in a roll of a dice, it's like, you know, they've got it. They've got something. If they lose, you get nothing. If you win, you get a, you know, a, a 10,000 X return on your money. They're still hard to get it because the people don't have enough acumen to even be good future predictors of what's, what's valuable. And then when we come to like the internet, whether it's, you know, uh, Google or, or GPS, all those things were funded by the U.S. government. You know, they were not, they, they, none of these guys did this stuff on their own. It's like, it's complete bullshit. Right. They, like other people, the big money was spent early on by governments to de-risk it. And you know, in my case, I'm very happy in Canada because we get a huge amount of government support, whether it's tax credits for the basic R&D we get, which is gigantic, which is uh, 54% if you're from another country. It's 54% <laughs> of your actual uh, R and D spend that's on the salaries. Tax credit. Yeah, that's a, that's what shred is. It's it, it depending on how you do your accounting. They say it's thirty, but it's and you. what your industry is, what you're doing, right? That is well, it, what's the qualifications for that? The qualifications for that is it actually has to be um, risky research. So in other words, it's not something oh. like if I'm just building uh, a new cell phone, in which case I'm, I'm you know I have a new design. That's not really R and D. That's that's basically a new iteration. Okay. But if you're like I'm going to make a cell phone that you know runs on uh, Some more friction, then, then it's probably never going to work. Then it's like okay, well you could write off 54 percent of the amount of salaries yeah. and and prototypes. And you know for us because we do a lot of prototyping, it's like a quite quite a, a big effect. So the Canada is probably one of the most generous countries in the world when it comes to de-risking uh, small-scale investments to their credit. It's like really, really an aggressive country, way better than the United States, yeah. way better than anywhere else. I mean, the next yeah. best one that I'm aware of is the UK. That's the next big Yeah, the US credit. is terrible. The US is terrible at it. The US has like very, very little in it. They have a bunch of myth. <laughs> they do all that stuff, but reality is far different. 
Yeah, I think if you came to them and say, I have an algorithm that can shape an eighth of a point off of the spread, they'd be like all over that because they can see that on a spreadsheet because right. that's the mind they have. But when it's like, you know, I can save one uh, percent uh, uh, off the electricity, and this is how they, they they don't understand that. At least that's my experience. I'm yeah. sure somewhere there's really bright people, but I have yet to meet them. Right. <laughs> and I'm sorry to say that. She's like, you know, I'm not in financial services, but you know, they should all be way smarter than I am when I do it because I'm not in that business. But they're just like they they ask the most ridiculous questions. Yeah, and they've anyway. never and they've never run a business before they never run a business before none right. of them have it's like would you think if you're hiring these people to like evaluate businesses the first thing you would ask them is hey have you run like five or six businesses before you might kind of have an idea of what's bullshit and what's not <laughs> and what can work and what not nope you got an mba oh that really made you smart right that's practical that's practical that's practical <laughs> let's get let's get i'll let you know let's it let's just get let's just graduate let's just graduate you know half a million mbas and the world will be solved apparently <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. So what do you want to do with Demazine? Like, what's the big move, the big dream, the big goal? Like, where? Um, the big goal in, in Demazine is 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 really one around uh, housing. Um, we do do mostly enterprise-level projects right now where we, we offer, like, restaurants an ability to open and, and put their water and do recycling and, and such. We do for residential well. But I think the long-term goal of Demazine is what I really want to see is the ability to have a house, which um, we're actually building some now with a, another company as a partner, and and have a be able to have a house, put it into a location, and be a hundred percent livable and operable perpetually within six hours. Wow! And then the flip side of that, because with no with no ground preparation, no foundation, from, no, no. from phone call, from sales call to delivery. Well, well, delivery, delivery, whatever delivery comes, but from delivery to habitable, right. six hours. Wow. But the thing that's cool about that is that, you know, on one hand, that sounds kind of neat because it's like we now allow you to live anywhere, right? And yeah. now it's like if you think about the way we regulate buildings, it's a lot about, well, you know, we don't want you, we don't want you to go near the too close to the river because you know it's like okay well you know we can kind of do away with there's aesthetic reasons why you don't want to be near the river but from an environmental standpoint we can we can take that out or we could put you on top of a mountain where there's all stone and it's completely you know inefficient to move there and now all of a sudden you can just live there because you don't right. have the same requirement for water and septic but the other side which is cool <clears throat> which is more of a social aspect is that you know, you you've got um, you know you you got your partner and you've got two kids and you get another job on the five thousand kilometers away. You know, now you pack up everything. Well, what we're kind of saying is you could just take the entire house and just move it there. Right. <laughs> and then it's like you're saving stuff. You don't have to take it. You don't have to. You don't have to pack. So it's just uh, incorporating your septic system into a mobile home. Yeah. Yeah, but we're doing it on a, a more grand scale where they're yes. all kind of like. They're, they're it's not just an RV with a toilet. It's not an RV <laughs> toilet. Although, in, in, theory, in theory, which we've done modeling on, you could take an RV and instead of having to fill it up with water every four days, you could do it every like four months. Um, so there's like, wow. well, RVs are really good for us because RVs already separate the black and the gray water out. So okay. it's like very easy adaptation because we don't have to use any, they already have tanks. Right. And we could just run in that. So you it's like, swap. you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of options in that business uh, and, and uh, ability. And certainly, you know, people are now scaling down on the size of their homes um which is good mm -hmm. but uh yeah we're just we're just this uh i see that where we see the company is that from a business standpoint we are vastly benefiting from a change in a regulatory framework and mindset it's slow but it's like it's now the decentralization is really being forced 
by a sudden realization that these big projects are suddenly, um, you know, they're failures. I mean, I hate to say it, but right. I mean, I'm, I'm, there always be a, there will always be need for big projects. And I'm not saying that that's gone, but I'm saying if you look at Muskrat Falls in Newfoundland, a twelve billion dollar hydro project, there's nowhere to sell the power because the power markets have changed so significantly from the beginning to the end. You know, if there were, how would that have been different if we had created micro power that you could have just moved or sold somewhere else? So it's like these big projects lock you into big failures. And if they fail, everyone goes down with them. Mm -hmm. I think the country that's really leading the way on this is actually Japan because after Fukushima, they did a huge amount of uh, money was released for um, different areas to, to become more energy independent. And then they started looking, realizing that it was in their best interest in the long term to be uh, not one huge network that was completely interdependent, but a whole bunch of little nodes that were independent of one another. So if anything happened, if there's another natural disaster, which, which will happen, they will be able to operate independently and be unexposed to the same type of risk. They're not tied to one single big system. Yeah. So I think the thing, thing for us as a company is, is you know, I'm, I'm hoping someday we'll get a call from an insurance company who's like, hey, we just realized it. You know, we're going to de-risk the mortgages because you can then take that out. But that hasn't happened because those guys just don't, don't That's know. That's the big play. They're not going to, yeah. yeah. Actually, one of the big plays we see now is maybe in the mortgage network because we can pretty much make any house pass. Right. Which you can't get a mortgage unless you have water and septic. And now we can kind of take that out of the equation. A lot faster, too. A lot faster. Yeah. Six big. hours. Six hours. Six. Actually, you know, the water and septic is, is at the moment very quick. Like, you can, yeah. you can do it in, in a day. Wow. It's kind of we try to make it idiot proof, you know. I love that. Yeah. And when it comes to business, starting a business or maintaining a business, growing it, like practical advice, what would you, if people are listening and are looking to make moves with their business, what would be your top two tips for business people, business oriented people? Um, what should they do that will help their companies grow and make a successful. I think the biggest thing I would say, tell people, I tell people a lot, is like, if you, I think the people who start businesses should be the ones who are the biggest critic and also the biggest consumers. So if you start a business because you think somebody else is going to need it, I, I really tell people not to do that. It's okay. like, don't, don't, start a grilled cheese shop because you think the market research shows that there's a grilled cheese shop but you hate grilled cheese right. it's like make the grilled cheese shop because you actually love grilled cheese right. because you can understand what somebody who would love grilled cheese will like and similarly you know i mean not that i am a, a shit lover but i'm a consumer of this stuff because it's like i i am really into it and fascinated by it because i am a consumer you know i am a guy who, who's built houses I see the real estate play here of being able to operate and do something. You know, I don't like, I really don't like the regulatory people that I tend to deal with on a, on a municipal level and being able to tell them to go F themselves that this is like, you know, a certified product is very easy to dump it in. It just streamlines the entire building product. So I can understand what that, um, that's like. So I guess my biggest thing is, you know, you know, do what you know and that what you really care about just for an individual. And if every nobody else agrees with you, it's okay. Right. Because it's like you can have a pretty good... Now, if you're really quirky, maybe, maybe not. But the problem is that, you know, in this world, 
especially if you're online, there's enough weird, quirky people just like you to make a business out of it. Right. So it's like, you know, there is, um, I think, a, a, it's big, a niche, niche for everyone. There's a niche for everyone. And also, you know, the big, uh, uh, it's, uh, understand how to beg for money because in the end, you know, most, most businesses have r- real monetary constraints at some point in their growth curve and understanding like, what are you going to do when you don't get money right. is, is kind of, a uh, a good thing to at least psychologically prepare yourself for and, <laughs> and also uh and also just understand and model your business around that like how do you hire people like what expectations do you tell them you know uh you know if you're going to do it through a growth i tell you that in this company which is about my eighth uh i've done things a lot differently now than i've done in the past which i probably would have saved millions of dollars if i had done it <laughs> in the past i use a lot more i have a lot of full-time employees but i have a lot of full-time employees who who have uh, changing schedules so like they have i try to find people who are who are doing something else outside of work because my experience with workers is that the 40-hour work week actually doesn't work for the majority of people wow. most people work really well for like one intense day of maybe 12 hours or they maybe two hours a day but for the other eight hours a day if you have them on an eight-hour schedule you're only getting four hours of work out of them right so one of the things i would tell people is i have you know it's straight up advice it's like if you really want to be efficient hire people for like two to four hour cycles and that's it because the rest of their time is wasted right they're checking their email they gotta deal with their kids yeah they gotta go create kids (laughs) (laughs) they gotta get drunk they gotta hang over whatever the reason yeah they're very inefficient and it's like you know understanding that in my case in my own company case i think we've cut our labor costs uh to 20 percent of what they were the previous company yeah it's crazy with just letting people be people but people be and people are understanding being a lot more. i mean i mean there are times it's like you got to do this thing but in the end um being flexible and having people i mean this is i mean google kind of realized this when they let people do what they wanted to do is having people work at um similar but not the same not i'm not having people none of my people can work at a competitor but like having them go out in the real world and do stuff, you know, allows them to have a broader mind and and view things and bring more stuff in. You know, one of the guys who uh, does a lot of drafting writes a lot of nanotech articles, so you know, it kind of brings in the perspective of nanotechnology, which is relevant actually to this business. And, right. You know, it's utilizing able, something we can utilize. So I don't know. I mean, that would probably be it. I am. Uh, yeah. I, wow. I, 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 t- that's top twenty tips, by the that's way. That's, 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 <laughs> tell your, tell your, yeah, de- definitely tell your, tell your employees that uh, it's good for them to have a hobby. Ah, uh, okay, got it. <laughs> and then you won't take that away from them. Love it, unless it's banking. Jonathan, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the way, thank you for having yes. me on your show, Jonathan Kitson. Thank you so much uh, for two. being in episode number two, Revenge um, of the Turd. I. <laughs> I might have to title my episode that. It's too late now. It's, it's brilliant. <laughs> I have one more question Uh-oh. before we go. Um, what's your uh, what, what's what's your favorite podcast? <laughs> well, that's really simple because <laughs> I don't normally listen to them, and it's got to be this one. None of business. <laughs> Love it. Thanks so Thank much. Thank God for that prep work. Yeah. <laughs> All right. See ya. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Nanya. Please share this episode with your network and shoot me a comment on Twitter 
at Skyler underscore Dietz or on our Instagram page at Nanya Podcast. So until next time, have a great day. Thank you.